This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. We're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 1 here in a moment, but I do want to mention what Ryan already pointed you to uh, this morning. In the commons, uh, back this way under the Making Room banner, there is a devotional that we'd love for you all to have. Uh, It is uh, a two-week devotional. We'll start those together on Monday, November 13th. So you can pick it up this week, you can pick it up next week. We don't think we'll run out, but there's always the possibility. So grab one if you can at some point this week. If you want to share with other people in your house, great. If you want one for yourself, you can have it. There's also a commitment card in here as well that you can look through, and we'll be talking about this in the weeks upcoming to the final Sunday in November. And I also want to just let you know that there will be a congregational meeting on Monday, November 13th, which we would love for you to be at uh, as well, and you can find information about that on Church Center. All right, so we are at the midway point of making room, and what I want to do this month is talk a lot, and the video teed this up quite nicely, is of the why behind what we're doing. Yes, we're excited to have more space. Yes, we're excited for more kids' rooms, more space for student ministry, for ministries to develop, things like the Christmas store, to support other groups in our community, space for coffee and meals and celebrations, but that's actually more the what, right? I want to talk a little bit about the why, because the why behind all of this is mission. We want to celebrate Christ and serve Cincinnati. That's why we exist as a church, and that's really the why behind this initiative. And we're going to think about that this whole month, and we're going to do so by studying the book of Ruth. Now, I don't know how many of you, uh, when you think about the book of Ruth, think of mission. Uh, I haven't always thought of it this way. But I do now, and I came across several years ago the work of a pastor by the name of Greg Thompson who has framed the book of Ruth through this lens, through the lens of mission, and we're going to talk about it this way this month, but because this is an association that might not immediately come to mind, I wanted to take a few moments here at the beginning to explain. So if you live somewhere, just kind of go in your mind here with me for a second before we even get into the text. If you live somewhere between the end of the second century and the end of the 16th century, and if you lived as far south as northern Africa or as far east as modern Iraq, maybe even all the way to India, or as far north as modern Scotland, as far west as modern Spain, so a pretty big swath of territory, uh, throughout these times, in these places, if you were obliged to go on a long journey either through personal choice or uh, through necessity, right? You're fleeing war maybe or, or famine or persecution or poverty. If this was you, you would in this journey in all likelihood spend your days scanning the horizon looking for one thing. Do you know what it would be? You'd be looking for a church, the spires of a church, maybe a cathedral, maybe a village parish church or a monastery or a convent. Now, why? Why would you be looking for those places? Because you knew those would be the places where they would take you in. Those would be the places where you could get help. Remember, there were no hotels back then, a few inns here and there, but by and large, churches were the places you would go to look for hospitality. And one thing just uh, almost everyone knew 
about the church was the church was the place where strangers were welcomed as guests. If they didn't know anything else about Christianity, one thing that you knew back then was that churches were places where strangers were welcomed as guests. The vocation of hospitality was at the center of the church's mission in the world. In fact, it was so deeply embedded that most of these communities actually had manuals on how to receive guests. They varied from community to community, differences in language and custom and culture and generations, but all of them bear witness to the church's foundational vocation of hospitality. And I want to give you just one example. Sixth century Italy, a famous manual called the Benedictine Rule. And I want to read to you, it's pretty expansive, but I want to read to you just the part about hospitality. I'll quote from the section on hospitality. This is what it says. All guests who present themselves are to be welcomed as Christ. For he himself will say, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Proper honor must be shown to all, but especially to those who share the faith and to pilgrims. Once a guest has been announced, the superior and the brothers are to meet him with all the courtesy of love. First of all, they are to pray together and thus be united in peace, but prayer must always precede the kiss of peace because of the delusions of the devil. All humility should be shown in addressing a guest on arrival or departure by a bow of the head or by complete prostration of the body. Christ is to be adored because he is indeed welcomed in them. After the guests have been received, they should be invited to pray. Then the superior or an appointed brother will sit with them. The divine law is read to the guest for his instruction, and after that, every kindness is shown to him. Great care and concern are to be shown in receiving the poor and the pilgrims, because in them, more particularly, Christ is received. And then it goes on to describe and minute detail, all the practicalities of how the kitchen should be organized and who would make the meals and how you would set up the guest quarters. You know, we normally think of mission as going out, and, and that's right, right? Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, and he sent the disciples out into the world. But here we learn that a significant part of the church's mission historically, and, and maybe the most effective part of the church's mission in certain times and in certain places, is to welcome in. Part of our mission is to display the kindness and welcome of God in the way that we welcome others in, which then brings us to the book of Ruth. What a great book. It has pretty much everything, right? All the good stuff, tragedy and love and angst and grief and hope and hospitality. Ruth is a story, after all, of an immigrant who finds a home in the people of God. It's the story of somebody who was on the outside who was welcomed in. It's the story of wounded and vulnerable people shown the kindness of God by the people of God. And in that sense, Ruth can shape the way that we view our missionary vocation in Cincinnati and the world. Greg Thompson put it this way. He said, the greatest missionary task of the church in a secular age is the recovery of the vocation of hospitality. The greatest missionary task of the church in a secular age is the recovery of the vocation of hospitality. And so I want us to be asking as we study this book together this month, how is God extending his kingdom through ordinary kindness and hospitality? And then how do we be a part of that? How can we be a part of that? How can we offer the hospitality of God to our neighbors?
So let's take a look together to the first chapter of Ruth uh, this morning. We're going to read to you all of the chapter. Ruth chapter 1 is printed for you in your bulletins. You can find it in your Bibles, in your rows. I think it will be really helpful for you to have this text open before you this morning as we look at it. Ruth chapter 1, starting with verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. When you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. And so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And so Naomi returned And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How can we offer kindness and hospitality, the kindness and hospitality of God to our neighbors? This chapter teaches us that to do so, we need to see 
the sorrows of the people around us. And then secondly, we need to seek the good of the people around us. See their sorrows and seek their good. All right, so first, see the sorrows. And there is a lot of sorrow here in this opening chapter. You probably caught it as we read through the story. The author of this book, you know, they could have started out with the love and the romance bit, right? That would be sort of a good attention getter to get somebody interested in this story. Or they could have begun simply by mentioning Ruth at the beginning, because if you were in ancient Israel, you would know that name. Ruth is in the genealogy of of the kings. Her name is in the genealogy of uh, the, the, the prototypical, the archetypal king of Israel, King David. And so you could start it out. You've heard of Ruth. Let me tell you how she got to be in this line of kings. But no, that's not how the author begins. The writer begins... With sorrow, the story begins with the main characters attending to each other's sorrows. Naomi sees the sorrow of her daughters. Ruth and Orpah see Naomi's sorrow. And the text invites us in to see it as well. It's been said that Christian hospitality is the work of attending to the harmed and the hurting. Christian hospitality is the work of attending to the harmed and the hurting. This begins with learning to see the sorrow and the loss of the people around us. And we all live, truth is, we all live in the the story of loss. The story of the world is a story of loss. God created us with profound dignity and honor. We were made to be at home with God. We were made to be in relationship to each other. We were made for communion with God. But beginning with the sin of Adam and Eve and ever since, it's been a story of loss. We've lost fellowship with God. We've lost easiness with one another. We've lost who we're created to be or who we could be, who we know we should be. Christianity says we were made for something beautiful, but we've lost it. That's the great tragedy of man, that we live in a story of loss. And that loss includes a kind of homelessness. Without fixed points of reference, or who we are, or who we're supposed to be, where we can go for meaning, where we can find security, we all find ourselves existentially, if not really, wandering. And we try to build our homes. We try to build our shelters wherever we can, because you got to live somewhere, right? And some of us do this through achievement, through money, through success. I think we can find our refuge, our shelter there. For others of us, we do it through romance, sex or sexual identity, that's home for us. For others, we'll go just about anywhere where someone will welcome us in. That's how vulnerable we feel. The story of the world is a story of loss. That's mirrored in the the pages of Scripture. The story of the Bible is a storyline of loss. In the pages of the Old Testament, what do we see? We see Adam and Eve lose paradise along with their innocence. And you keep reading, Jacob loses his son, Joseph. Joseph loses his freedom. Moses loses his people. David loses his way. Israel loses its homeland, and on and on and on. The New Testament, then, is the story of God entering into this loss. I mean, what is the Christmas story that we're about to retell in a month or so? The story of the incarnation, what is that? But God moving toward our loss, he himself becoming homeless, becoming poor, becoming condemned. Eventually, Jesus even loses his life. And in that sense, he's very much 
like Naomi and Ruth. Jesus was a man full of sorrows, despised and rejected. No place to lay his head. It wasn't just the life of Jesus stepping into loss, but the work of Jesus. When you read the Gospels, Jesus seems to be spending nearly all of his time with people who have lost something. Do you notice that? Parents who have lost children, men and women who have lost their sight, the tormented who are losing their minds, sinners who had lost their dignity. When Jesus looked at the crowds, it says he had compassion because they were like sheep who had lost their shepherds. And then what is the church? Right, this people that God is creating, that Jesus is forming, well, we are a collection of people who have our own losses. And so much of the New Testament, the epistles of the Apostle Paul, for example, are instructing the church, how do we attend to each other's sorrows? How do we care for each other's losses? But then also, when we gather together, we get to celebrate that in Jesus, even with those uh, very real losses, in Jesus we are found. We are a found people. We celebrate that each week when we come to worship. We tell the story of how we've been found. But then our mission, as we're sent out from here, is to go out amongst those who are in the thick of these losses, and we welcome the men. World Magazine told a story of a... uh, North Korean girl, all the horrors of life in North Korea. This girl's family was starving. Her father tried to get into China. He was caught and died in a work camp. Her older sister, this young girl's older sister, was trafficked for sex. Finally, when her mother couldn't produce enough milk for her infant sister, they snuck across the border into China. They were able to carve out a little life for themselves, but they were barely getting by tending sheep. And one night while she was out in the field, she heard a sound coming, as she said, sort of out of the darkness. She felt herself drawn to it. She found a small farmhouse. Inside, they were singing. The door opened, and there was a gathering of people, which she later learned was a small house church. She said these people were kind, they were sweet, they were welcoming. She fell on the floor. She had never seen anything like this, such joy and such peace. And a woman told her, don't be afraid. This is where the wounded and the weary gather. Wouldn't that be amazing? If that was the reputation of the church in Cincinnati. Oh, I've heard of you. This is where the wounded and the weary gather. That's big picture. But what about in our story? The opening of Ruth is a story of loss. Verses 1 and 2, Elimelech and Naomi lose their home, right, because of the famine. Verses 3, 4, and 5, all the wives in the story lose their husbands. All these men died, all three of them, in what was supposed to be the vital years of their life. All death is sad, but there is sorrow upon sorrow when someone is lost in the prime of their life. And with the death of these men comes vulnerability to these women. We don't have time to go into it now, but remember this is a time when there were not a lot of economic opportunities for women. So as the widows grieve being left alone, they also are grieving that they are facing poverty. Verses six and seven, there's the loss that comes with displacement. The loss of place, the loss of home as they have to uproot and move yet again, leaving Moab this time to go back to Bethlehem. Verses 8 to 14 show us the heartbreaking relational loss as they are separating from each other. Orpah finally separating from them, but the possibility of separating Naomi and Ruth. 
And at the end of verse 21, Naomi sums all this up as she comes back to Bethlehem and she simply says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. I went away full, the Lord has brought me back empty. This is a story of loss. And some of us in this room can identify with that. I know you can. You've got sorrow upon sorrow, it seems, piling up in your heart, disappointments in your life or in the lives of those that you love, shattered dreams, unjust circumstances, broken hearts that seem impossible to mend, questions that don't seem to have any answers. This is where the story of Ruth begins. But we're reminded in the story that God builds his kingdom through the sheltering kindness of hospitality. This is where the wounded and weary gather. If we are to give God's welcome, we need to see the sorrows of those who are around us. And one of the problems with, and especially spikes at this time of year, one of the problems with a culture war mentality is the tendency to simply see and label people according to right side or wrong side. Good guys or bad guys, friend or enemy. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there is no right or wrong. There certainly is. In fact, that lack of fixed points is one of the causes of this feeling of hopelessness and homelessness. I'm not saying there's no right or wrong, but I am saying it is reductionistic to see people through those labels, good guy, bad guy, friend or enemy. Our mission, our vocation as the church is to see people created in the image of God, inherent with the dignity that comes from that, but also broken and marred by the fall, and therefore full of sorrow and loss. Can you see the sorrows? Your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, Can you get to know their stories? The book of Ruth doesn't end with loss, but it does begin there. The writer invites us to see the sorrows of those around us. But secondly, to fulfill the missionary vocation of the church, we need not just to see the sorrows of those around us, but we also need to learn to seek their good, to seek their good. And throughout this story, we see the main characters doing just that, Seeking the good of those around them. The story begins in verse 1 and 2 with Elimelech seeking the good of his family. Why do they move after all, right? It's not like Elimelech saw, you know, a commercial for condos in Moab or something, right? Oh, room with a view. You know, Naomi, we can get a pool now or something like that. No, right? The occasion for this is a famine in the land. That's why they leave. Now, there are some commentators who are pretty rough on Elimelech. For this decision to leave Israel, the land of promise. Bethlehem, after all, means the house of bread. It's an unusually fertile area in Israel. So could there be a better place to ride out of famine than Bethlehem, right? Shouldn't they have just trusted God and waited it out there? And, and maybe that's what they should have done. I mean, after all, certainly things did not go well in Moab. All three men in the family lose their lives there. But the text of Ruth doesn't focus on the morality or the wisdom or the discernment of Elimelech's decision. It just tells us the story of it. But even if it was a bad move, it seems clear that his motivation was the good of his family. But the rest of the chapter is absolutely clear in the various characters seeking each other's good. Verses 8 to 14, Naomi seeks the good of these girls of Orpah and Ruth, her daughters-in-law, 
She tries to send them back to their houses where they grew up, back to their mothers, back to their families, even though this would leave Naomi all alone. Why would she do that? Why would she send them away, even at great cost to herself, for their good? She thinks it's the best chance for them to find a life, to find a home, to find a family. Verse 9, the Lord grant, she says, the Lord grant that you might find rest. And the word is it's the word for security, the word for comfort, restoration, joy. She's saying, I want a bright future for you. Now, it should be said, Naomi doesn't do everything perfectly here. She says some problematic things, and not just in this chapter, but in the ones to come, too. She's not perfect. She tells Ruth, Ruth, for example, in verse 15, go back to your gods, Ruth. Go back to the gods of Moab. Now, if I were, you know, acting as her pastor, I'd say, Naomi, we have to have to talk about this. This isn't the best counsel to give. But her instinct, her heart, is to care for these girls, to seek their good, even at great cost to herself. And Naomi's little prayer in verse 8 is a wonderful one. Be a good prayer for you to commit to memory. Good prayer for you to use. May the Lord deal kindly with you. Simple little prayer. Concise little prayer. Maybe this is your practical application from this sermon to pray this concise little prayer for the people that you come into contact with this week. May the Lord deal kindly with you. The people that you know, but, but even the people that you just come across your path, right? The guy walking his dog just in your mind. May the Lord deal kindly with you. I mean, you don't have to hold up your hand when you, well, you can wave, I guess. Yeah. May the Lord deal kindly with you. The person who's a table over at the coffee shop, may the Lord deal kindly with you. The guy who cuts you off in traffic, maybe it's through clenched teeth, but may the Lord deal kindly with you. God is not impressed with wordy prayers. A simple one like this will do. May the Lord deal kindly with you. Naomi seeks their good. Verses 14 to 18 show us, shows us Ruth seeking good for Naomi. Verse 14, it says, remember, Naomi tries to send her back, and it says that Ruth clung to her. It's the same word that's used for the cleaving of a husband to a wife in Genesis chapter 2. It's also the word that God uses for faithfulness, covenant faithfulness that he desires from his people to him in Deuteronomy 10. It's what God wants for people to cling to him. That's how Ruth clings to Naomi. And she says, Naomi, don't urge me to leave. I'm with you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. And then she makes a profession of faith. In verse 16, your people shall be my people, your God, my God. She's counted herself now among the people of God. She's calling upon the name of the Lord. Ruth has bound herself to Naomi's God. She's binding herself now to Naomi. She says, nothing but death can part me from you. And later in chapter three, Boaz is talking about this, all that Ruth had done for Naomi, and he calls it hesed, how she behaves toward Naomi. It's the Hebrew word hesed, which means kindness, the same covenant loving kindness that God shows to his people. Behind Ruth and Naomi's kindness is the loving kindness of God. Throughout Scripture, we see God constantly seeking the good of his people very often when they don't deserve it. God seeks good for Abraham and Sarah when he gives them a promise and a child in old age. God seeks the good of Jacob 
and his sons when Joseph is restored to them. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. God seeks the good of Israel when he returns them to the land after their slavery in Egypt. And God seeks the good of his people when the prophets tell the story of how the glory of God will one day be restored to the people and how his healing will then go out from Israel to the very ends of the earth. And when Jesus Christ comes into the world, he comes to seek the good of his people. When Jesus is at work, the lame begin to walk. The hungry are fed. The prisoners are set free. The blind are given sight. The shamed are forgiven. The outcasts are welcomed. The dead are raised. And the church is called into this same kind of work. The greatest missionary task of the church in a secular age is the recovery of the vocation of hospitality, to recover this vocation, to welcome others as God has welcomed us. We need to see the sorrows and to seek the good of our neighbors. You know the sad part about this? Too many people in our culture, too many people in our city, too many people in our neighborhood don't know that that's what the church is about. Too many people don't recognize that mission in the life of the church. And so, consequently, they are no longer looking for us on the horizon like people used to scan when they were making those journeys all those years ago. They're no longer looking for us on the horizon. The light that they seek is not in our lamps. They're not seeking the greeting in our mouths nor the food on our table. It doesn't even occur to them that the church could be of help. Some of that is our fault. But what if we could recover this vocation. The greatest missionary task of the church in a secular age is the recovery of the vocation of hospitality. And just as we close, I want you to think about this. For those of you who do know Jesus, for those of you who consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I wonder how many of you came to know him because somebody welcomed you in. I wonder how many of you came to know Jesus because somebody welcomed you in. Somebody welcomed you in perhaps in the midst of something ugly in your life. Somebody welcomed you in when you were trapped in shame. Somebody welcomed you in when you felt all alone. Somebody welcomed you in maybe just when you were severely awkward and you didn't know how to find a place or a people. Or somebody welcomed you in when you thought you had nowhere else to go. I bet that's true for an awful lot of us. Can we be a part of that? Can we be a part of God's welcome for others? Could we be a church where the weak and the wounded would gather? Would you pray with me toward that end and as we continue in our worship this morning? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this story, story of Ruth, which has, it does have it all. It's story of love, it's a story of angst, it's a story of sorrow, it's a story of redemption, it's a story of hospitality. And Lord, as we're considering our task, our calling in this neighborhood and our city as individual Christians and as a people, would you equip us for this work? Would you help us constantly to be thinking about the ways that you have welcomed us in and how we could then be a part of the welcome, be a part of your welcome for others. Lord, would you equip us? Would you strengthen us? Would you help us to attend to each other's sorrows, to seek each other's good, and then to go out into the world, the hope of Jesus Christ, that we can do the same for others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.